If you want to know where we're going to be, we're going to be in Titus chapter 1. Again, we're going to continue on through this letter to Titus. Um, And as I was thinking about how to introduce this, it was um, kind of obvious as I looked around our house. uh, Well, how do I start this? Um, Y'all enjoy doing laundry? Whoa. People actually said yes to that question? You love doing laundry. This is news to me. I didn't know that you people existed. Okay, well, laundry is that one job that never seems to end. You do it, and by the time it's done, you need to do more. Um, It's the never-ending, it's eternal. Um, Maybe that's blasphemy. I shouldn't have said that. Um, But you get the point. Well, laundry at our house has never been a problem. From the time I was married, we never had a hard time doing laundry. Um, Doing it was the easy part. Both Steph and I, we were good about getting laundry in the washing machine. We would switch it over when we needed to. It wasn't a big deal. All that stuff was easy. The hard part for us was folding it. Now, does anybody enjoy folding laundry? You've got to be kidding You're welcome at my house anytime you want, anytime, because folding laundry has never been our strength, okay? It's never been something either one of us was good at, but it finally got to the point where in in Steph and I's marriage, we finally worked something out without ever saying anything about it. We just kind of started doing it where the laundry would get done and I would, I would fold all the laundry, I, I just got to where I started doing it. Now, the way I do laundry is different from the way Steph does laundry, okay? And this was something that was in my house, too, and I learned this early on, and I'll explain in a minute. Um, but she does it very different. She'll just do something when she needs it. So she'll just do a load when she needs to do it. And I'm different. I want to pick a day, and I want to wash everything, all of it. Get it done in a day, and then don't worry about it for a while. That's the way I would prefer to do that. And I, I say I come by that honestly, and I never really thought about thought about doing folding laundry. I know some guys don't fold laundry, which is just silly. Guys, fold some laundry. Um, and all the wives said, "Amen." Um, so um, I never really thought much about it because that's how it worked in my house when I was a kid. So my mom actually got to where she couldn't for a while because she was dealing with some pain, so she couldn't do it. My dad just got to where he had his system. And he knew how his system worked. He would do laundry two days a week. He would do it on Sundays and Wednesdays. And he would do all of it, just like I prefer to do it. That's the way he did. And my mom drove him nuts. Drove him nuts. Because she, like my wife, would just do something when she needed. So she would do a load here, do a load there. And it was all sporadic. And it would mess with my dad's, his his regiment. And it drove him crazy. Drove him absolutely nuts. So finally he told my mom, stop touching the laundry. Just don't do it. I will do it all. Just don't touch it. Um, So I never thought much about this. Now, you all are going to think that my dad is like a a mean guy. He's really not. um, Or maybe you're thinking he was an awesome guy because he did all the laundry. But um, I never really thought much about doing it this way. And the reason I never thought much about doing it that, that way, because that's how I grew up. That's what I knew that was how my, my upbringing had influenced me. I just, I just naturally assumed that that's the way things were supposed to be done because that's what my father, what my mother taught me. And really what that's called in a lot of ways when we have people speak into our lives that way is called discipleship. They didn't know that they were doing it. They weren't planning on saying, hey, we're going to teach our kids these things. Um, But they did because that's the way they lived. They spoke into our lives, my brothers and I, by the way they lived. They did life with us, and we just naturally learned from them. And today, my goal, my goal is for you to see how important it is for other believers to speak into your life. 
so that you can learn how to live a godly life, so that you can learn how to be a follower of Jesus. Just like I learned, like, this is how laundry gets done around the house, we can learn what it means to walk with Christ by spending time with, by fellowshipping with, and by being discipled by other believers. And hopefully we can see just how important that is from God's word today. So I would like it if we could read Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Would you all stand with me as we read God's word? Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Thank God for His Word. You may be seated. So, the last couple of weeks we've been starting our look at this, this letter to Titus. And last week, um, I ended by trying to explain that an elder in the church has to be able to refute those who contradict sound teaching. Right? That was the end of what we looked at. That's in verse 9, where we looked at these elders and the mature followers of Jesus needing this ability to refute unsound teaching. And if you remember, I said that this was the message that was taught. Essentially, this is the gospel. That's what these, some of these teachers are trying to refute. They're teaching something contrary to the gospel. And this week, we're going to dive in deeper to those who were refuting this sound doctrine, those who were contradicting this sound doctrine. See, because the truth is, any place that the gospel is sown, any place that the gospel is taught, there's going to be lies that try to creep in. I mean, we get this. Y'all, we live in northwest Missouri. Most of y'all at least live in northwest Missouri. We understand the idea of planting seed. In any place that you plant seed, there's going to be weeds that come up also. Right? We have... I got to walk beans for some of these folks back here back in the day. And I know that weeds come up wherever you plant something. If there is fresh dirt, weeds are going to try to, they're going to try to pop up. Wherever there's good soil, weeds are going to grow. So you better be able to manage those. And just like that, the gospel was being sown here. And Satan comes in and sows weeds amongst the, the good soil. So that's what we see in today's sex. Now usually... Usually, as we come to any text, I like to start at the beginning of it. So I would like to start in verse 10, but that's not the flow of the text today. That's not where this text actually has its emphasis. If you want to know where today's text has it, it's in verse 13. That's the driving point in this passage. That's where we find the command to Titus. So we're actually going to start in the middle of this text as we start walking through it today. We're going to start in verse 13, and then we're going to kind of build around that. And in verse 13, Paul writes, For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith. This word rebuke, it means to expose or convict. In other words, what he's saying is expose them for the liars that they are. Expose them for the liars that they are. 
In the classical Greek, this word actually carried the idea of shaming someone. Of shaming someone who's coming in and spreading lies. That's the classical idea. Now, understand, our goal whenever there are lies there is not to shame somebody. However, shame will certainly be a part of the rebuke. If you are calling out a lie, people don't typically like saying, oh yeah, I love it whenever I get called out for lying. Uh huh. Yeah, I've never heard somebody say that. So yeah, there will certainly be some aspect of shame that's tied to it, but that is not our goal, and we'll get to the goal in just a moment. But as if just saying rebuke them wasn't enough, Paul adds another word. He says the rebuke is to be sharp. Rebuke them sharply. Essentially what Paul is telling them is you have these, these false teachers, as these weeds start growing up, don't pull any punches. Don't pull anything back. Don't hold back. Because the truth is more important than somebody's feelings. The truth is the most important thing. So don't allow these lies to come in. Instead, rebuke them sharply. Now, the reason I tell you that this is, this is the, the starting point for this verse is because that verb, rebuke, is a command. It's not something that's suggested. It's commanded of Titus to rebuke them sharply. This is the driving point. This is the thrust of what Paul is writing to Titus here. So this is where our central theme of this passage is. But notice the purpose of the rebuke. Let's go there now. The purpose of this sharp rebuke. He says, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. The goal of a rebuke isn't to shame somebody. Now, there may be shame tied to it. But the goal is not shame. The goal is to bring someone to a proper knowledge of the truth. That should be our goal. It should be to restore somebody to a proper understanding of who God is and what he's done. That should be our driving point. That should be what we desire. And if our goal is ever in church discipline or by calling out lies, if our goal is ever simply to get rid of someone or something like that, we have missed the point. The goal needs to be restoration, needs to be reconciliation. That should be what we're driving after. Now, holiness in the church, as I've said a number of times, I believe holiness in the church is important, and church discipline is certainly important. Restoration and reconciliation still must always be our goal. And I hope we're people who desire restoration and reconciliation. That should be something that we're pursuing, even as we call out the lies. So, this, like the rest of the Christian life, is going to require discipleship. It's going to require discipleship. We need those people around us who can speak into our lives. That way, when the lies do start to creep in, we have people around us who can identify those and help us to see those ourselves. Because the truth is, all kinds of lies come in, and if we're just being honest, we're pretty easily misled. Uh, Call me guilty on that one. We tend to be misled rather easily, even if that's by ourselves. Now, Being misled by ourselves isn't found in today's text, but it is found in other places in Scripture, so I don't mind mentioning that. So we need to have those people who can speak into our lives, that can call out those blind spots, who can help us to see where we're not living the way that we're supposed to be living, the way God's Word calls us to live. We need those people in our lives. And I think this text shows us three other reasons. We need qualified leaders, both in the church to protect it from these lies, and reasons we need mature followers in our lives to protect us from these lies. Okay, I think we see three reasons here in today's text. The first is that we need qualified elders in the church and mature believers in our lives because people will be misled by eloquence. Eloquence. I actually thought about putting the word charisma here because I think people are also oftentimes led by, misled by charisma. And we see this play out in the text. Verses 10 and 11 say, 
For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. So it starts out with these rebellious people. And this, this word rebellious is the same one we read last week as we were talking about qualifications of an elder. Um, and this word rebellious came up talking about um, a disqualified person's child. Uh, this word rebellious came up there too. It said they can't have rebellious children. So we're, same word, same word. Over in chapter 1, verse 6, it was, it was talking about children that were unwilling to come under the proper authority. And the same thing is true of these teachers who are spreading these lies. They are unwilling to come under the proper authority. And that proper authority, again, would be the faithful message that was taught that we talked about last week. It was the gospel. They are unwilling to come under that authority, the authority of the gospel. And this unwillingness to come under authority leads them to this empty talk and deception. This empty talk and deception. And really think about this. What does empty talk and deception, what good does that really do you? None. Okay, so think about it like this. Think about it like this. Uh, Does anybody like donuts? Anybody like donuts more than laundry? Okay, there we go. I like donuts. And y'all can... Y'all can laugh at me if you want. You can make fun of me for this. But my favorite donuts are just plain glazed donuts. You cannot beat a plain glazed donut. And I'm not talking Krispy Kreme donuts because now this is going to start a riot. I'm not a Krispy Kreme fan myself. I prefer going to Dunkin' Donuts and getting those big fluffy ones than just glaze them. Okay? That's the way I prefer my donuts. Now, if you gave me a dozen of those things and I was just being a little ornery, I might eat the whole whole box. Uh, I love just a box of plain glazed donuts. Now, if I was to eat nothing but those, because I love them. I mean, they're delicious. If I was to eat nothing but those, what good would that do me? Exactly. Somebody said, I'd get fat. That's true. I would become become obese. I would become increasingly lethargic. And eventually, that's going to kill me, right? Well, the same thing happens with this empty talk, this deception, It may look good at first. It may even taste kind of good. But ultimately, it's going to lead you to be spiritually overweight and lethargic, and eventually it's going to kill you spiritually. That's what this empty talk and this deception does. It doesn't do anything good. That's why Paul says it's ruining entire households. Entire households are being ruined by this stuff. So... That's what can happen. If we're not taking in God's word, we can wind up being malnourished. But if you're taking in lies, it's going to lead to something completely different. And it's still going to destroy you. Now, understand that whenever he says that this is ruining these entire households, what he's saying is not only that it's going to ruin you, but it's going to ruin your children and your wives or your husbands. It can ruin entire households. And one scholar actually pointed out that at this point, understand where churches were meeting. They were meeting in households. Huh. So by saying that it's ruining entire households, in other words, he's saying it's ruining entire local bodies of the church because we have allowed these lies to enter into the church. We need qualified leaders to be able to call these lies what they are. We need them. Otherwise, it could ruin an entire church. And haven't we seen that? I'm not trying to be critical of other churches, but... But these lies have been allowed to come in because there has been weak or deceived leadership... And it winds up ruining entire bodies. 
Don't allow that to be our church and don't allow that to be your life. So what Paul says, he says it's necessary to silence them. And notice he doesn't say it's optional. He says it is necessary. It's absolutely 100% needed. They need to be silenced. And this word is a strong word. The word silence is the same word that can be translated as muzzled. Muzzle the lies. Don't give them an opportunity to speak. Shut their mouths. You have to recognize the lie and silence the lie. And that's why you and I need mature followers of Christ in our lives. That way, when those lies do start to come up, we have somebody who's not going to pull any punches and say, you do realize that that's not true, right? Like, that is a lie, and it's good. don't be deceived by it. We need mature followers of Christ in our lives who can speak into our lives so that we can identify the lies, and we need strong leaders in the church who are willing to step up and call a lie a lie. We need those people around us. Because when we don't have those people... It leads to a failure not only in your life, but also in the life of your family and in the life of the church. We need mature followers of Christ being able to speak into our lives. So don't be misled by this empty talk, this eloquence or charisma, because there are some very, very passionate teachers. Very passionate teachers who speak really well, who would be easy to follow. I I promise you, they're out there. Go home and flip on some church channel, and I promise if you wait long enough, you're going to see some of them. But it's not just TV evangelists. It goes beyond that. You need to be able to not only know God's Word, but have people around you who know God's Word, so that way you're not even led by local churches in the area. I hope that you challenge the things that I say on a Sunday morning. I really hope that you do. At least ask, is that right? Is that biblical? I hope that you're asking your friends, um, like people who are more mature in Christ than you, is, is is that right? Does that line up with God's word? I hope that you do. Because I promise you I'm not always right. And I'm prone to being deceived also. So understand that we need mature followers of Christ in our lives and in our churches so that we're not misled by eloquence. Second reason we need these people in our lives and in our church is because people will be misled by culture. People will be misled by our culture. Now, I want to be very careful because whenever I say America or something along those lines, you're going to accuse me of being um, anti-patriotic, um, and that's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, I'm very thankful for the country that we live in. I'm very thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, and the Olympics are going on right now. At my house, we're sitting there going, USA, USA. Like, it's awesome. I love it. My kids start chanting it, and it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, go Team USA. So anyway, um, now I've talked about the Olympics. So. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, yes. I'm not, anti, I'm not trying to be anti-patriotic, but I think what we can do is we can, uh, we can actually look at our culture at large, and we can call a lie a lie. The lies that are out there in our culture, and there's plenty of them right now. And I think that we can call a lie a lie, and we ought to be able to call a lie a lie, and we need to do that. And that's what Paul does as he's writing to Titus here. Verse 12 and the first part of verse 13, he says, One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Now understand, Paul is writing to Titus, who is on the island of Crete. So he's saying the people that live on that island where you're going to be openly reading this letter, one of their own prophets 
One of their own prophets says this about them. This is credited to a guy named Epimenides, and this guy was a Cretan philosopher himself. And he says this about his own people. Now, I just want for a moment for you to imagine being Titus. Okay, I told you a couple weeks ago that this letter was intended to be openly read amongst the Cretan churches. Um, And now Titus gets the privilege of standing here saying, um, one of your own prophets, he said, wait a minute, I don't want to read this. One of your own prophets says that you're all a bunch of liars, you're all a bunch of evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And I thought about doing something fun with this because I grew up in Oregon and, um, you know, Oregon people say this about Mount City people. And, okay, here's the best part of this, though. Here's the best part of this. Then Paul says, and it's true. (laughs) And I thought about doing that, and then I was like, no, I'm going to really make some people mad if I try that. So not going there. But. That's what he does. And Titus has the, has the task of reading this to these people in Crete. So first of all, just understand how weighty this is and how difficult this would be. Paul's not pulling any punches here. He's just laying it out there like it is. So I would struggle with this. Because Paul's like, this is what their people say, and he is absolutely right. See, the Cretans were actually so notorious for their wickedness that there is a Greek verb that was created for them. A Greek verb that was made up just for people in Crete. It was uh, this Greek verb, it's kretzain, kretzain, which means to lie or to cheat. And I hope you can hear Cretan, kretzain, like you hear that? Yeah, that was a word that was made up just for the people in Crete. To lie and to cheat. But here's the thing, as terrible as Cretan culture was, I would say that we have some flaws in our culture that are just as damning. That are just as weighty. I mean, if we really look around, our culture says that, you know, it's okay to exterminate life. That's pretty heavy stuff. Our culture says it's okay to mutilate your body because of how you feel. You hear how crazy that is? And I think we need to be able to call a lie a lie. And we need to call it out. But see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is that our society, these, these lies that have been floating around our society, have begun to creep into the church. They have begun to creep into the church. It's, that's just true. Our society tells us things like there is no absolute moral truth. Our society says that there is none. They say it's a societal norm or it's just a societal construct. It's not really absolute. There's nothing, there's nothing eternal about these, these moral truths. That's just something that the society invents so that they can keep on functioning. When we know the truth, that, or at least I hope you know the truth, that God determines what's right and wrong and it flows from his character, which means it's eternally right or eternally wrong. Morality is not some subjective thing. It is absolute absolute all the time it is completely objective it's what god determines so we should know and honestly those people who deny absolute moral truth even they on some level have to know that there is some absolute moral truth they have to recognize that i don't know how you couldn't but just to show you that this kind of this kind of thinking is slowly permeating the church um, I, i found a a bit of research done by the barna group who does some christian research they do polls so that they can kind of identify um um, strengths and weaknesses in the church. So they did research back in 2016, and they found that Americans, only about one-third of American adults, believe in absolute moral truth. Only one-third. 
One-third of Americans believe in absolute moral truth. Okay? Now, it's better in the church. It is better than that in the church. Um, But it's still way too low. The church is better, but only about 60% of practicing Christians, the people that they believe are, or they've identified as practicing Christians, 60% say that there is absolute moral truth. Only 60%. That means four out of ten people who identify themselves as practicing Christians, four out of ten say that there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. This, this kind of thinking that is going through our culture right now is permeating the church. About 47% of practicing Christians say that the culture determines moral acceptability. The culture determines that. That's almost 50%. Half of practicing Christians say the, the, the moral truth is determined by our culture. That is a lie. Yeah, I heard I hope not. I absolutely hope not. And again, these are practicing Christians. These are people who attend services at least once a month, who say their faith is very important to their lives, and they identify as Christians. See, but here's where the problem lies. Here's where the problem lies. It lies in our worldview. Um, We have allowed our culture to affect the way that we look at the world. We've allowed our culture to affect the way that we view the world. Um, I, I have a fun example that I want to throw up here. Could you put the, the first one of those numbers up there? Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a really hard question. This is a very difficult quiz, and I think, but I think you guys can handle this. What is that number? What if I told you you're wrong? Okay, so I'm crazy. That is a six. Ooh, there we go. That is a nine that has been rotated 180 degrees. That is not a six. That is a nine that has been rotated 180 degrees. Now, see see the difference. To put the other one up. Now, see, that is the same number flipped 180 degrees, right? It's been flipped upside down. Been flipped upside down. So y'all were wrong. See, that's a nine. The other one was a nine. They're both nines. They are both nines. Now, actually, I'm technically lying to you. I told Steve I wanted to Photoshop one and actually go in and rotate a picture 180 degrees, so I wasn't lying to you all. Uh, But you get the point, right? You get the point. Okay? It all depends on how you're looking at it. Where's the top? Where's the bottom? Our perspective matters. The way that we look at those numbers absolutely matters. See, that same number is different if we rotate it, if we look at it through a different lens. It changes the way we view that. Um, there's another example here. If you could put the next one up. Okay, see, here's, here's the idea. Here's the idea. The guy on the left here is saying that that's a six. The guy on the right says it's a nine. Who's right? Now, see, I would argue with that. I don't think they are both right. I think only one of them is right. As a matter of fact, I adamantly believe only one of them is right. See, because that number, that number right there, that's not something that's always been there, is it? That number, somebody put that there, right? Somebody had to have put that number there. That number is not eternal. It's something that was placed there very intentionally. Now, when the author put it there, he had a purpose for that. The author knows how that was written. He knows whether that is a six or a nine. We may not because we may be looking at it from the wrong angle. We may be looking at it through the wrong lens. 
See, that is either a six or a nine. Now, the good news is we're not just left to look at life and figure out, well, I look at it this way and I might be right. That person looks at it this way. They might be right. No, 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 no. We're actually given something that helps us. Put that last one up there, would you? See, we, y'all like Uno? Anybody like Uno? My kids are old enough they can play Uno now, and it's kind of fun because they get numbers. So uh, this, is, this is a fun game. But anyway. See, we know whether this is a 6 or a 9 now, right? Because Uno helps us out by putting these little lines under the numbers. Did you all know that in life we have that line under our worldview? We have a place that can help us identify which direction we should be looking at the world? Yeah, right here. So this is, a, again, I like making gross oversimplifications. But here it is. This is our line under the world. This is the thing. This is the truth that underlies everything else so that we know how we should be looking at the world. If you're looking at the, at the world through the lens of anything other than God's word, you're looking at it from a distorted view. And you're going to see it in a distorted way. You're going to think a six is a nine. Did you say a six is an eight? I still didn't hear you. Ah, six is Satan. Yeah. You're going to think... That something is something that it's not. Y'all catch that? You're going to think that something is something that it's not. Because you're looking at it from the wrong angle. God didn't leave us to figure out, is it a six? Is it a nine? He gave us his word so we know how to look at the world. He showed us how to look at the world. So what we need is a biblical worldview. The reason these lies of our culture have, cre- have crept into the church is because we're looking at it from the wrong angle. What we need is to say, no, 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 whenever these lies come in, say, no, 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 you're looking at this from the wrong side. And I know because God's word, this eternal truth, shows me from where I need to be looking, shows me how to look at this problem. See, and I think that's, I'm going to quote Russ for just a minute. I think that's what he was talking about whenever he was talking about this recipe. We have God's recipe. We have it. We know how we're supposed to look at the world. We don't have to be left guessing. We have God's word. We know how we're supposed to look at the world. The Bible is the line from which we look at life. And all of this is to say that we cannot allow our culture to dictate who we are as the church or who we are as individuals. Instead, we look to Jesus. We look at his word to know how to look at the world. This is what helps us. And that's why we need strong leaders both in the church and we need mature Christians in our life. So that way, whenever we start looking from another angle, whenever we start looking through another lens, we have those people who say, wait a minute, you're a little skewed in your perspective there. Let's slow down. Let's look from the way, from the direction we're supposed to be looking from. So we need those people to remind us to look from the right way. Because people will be misled by both eloquence or charisma and culture. Third, we need qualified elders in the church and mature believers in our lives because people will be misled by counterfeits. People will be misled by counterfeits, right? Verse 13, we've already talked about it a little bit. It says, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. Verse 14 goes on and says, and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject truth. Now, it appears... It appears from this text that there were certain Jews in Crete who were, who were teaching that you had to follow certain Jewish rites or Jewish customs in order to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it appears from this text. Um, and it certainly fits um, the, 
the account we get over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, where he specifically calls out dietary restrictions that Jewish leaders were trying to teach, saying you have to follow, follow Jewish dietary restrictions if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul here is calling that out, saying don't believe these Jewish myths, that you need to follow all of these Jewish rites in order to be a follower of Jesus. He says, don't buy that, these dietary restrictions, don't buy the, the, the circumcision lie, don't buy the restrictions, don't buy any of this stuff. Instead, just remember the one truth, the gospel truth. Remember that. Remember what you've been taught. So, he says, ignore the Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth, which brings us to verse 15, which is oftentimes taken out of context by both sides of the argument here. Um, it was oftentimes taken out of context. It says, to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Now, what Paul is not saying to Titus, this is, what he is, this is not what he's saying. He's not saying, do whatever you want, because to the pure, everything's pure. Like, just go do what you want. It's all good. That is not what Paul's saying. That is not what he's trying to teach. Instead, I believe he has in mind exactly what he just talked about, which would be these Jewish myths which I believe he's talking about dietary restrictions or following certain festivals that had to be followed by the Jewish people. I believe he's saying, no, no, to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled, nothing is pure. I believe that's specifically what he's talking about. Because these Judaizers were coming in and saying, in order to be a Christian, if you want to know Jesus at all, if you want to be a Christian, you have to follow these Jewish rites. Or at least if you want to have a deeper understanding, you have to follow these Jewish rites. And Paul is saying, no, no, reject that. Now, he's not suggesting anything goes. So please, don't get that idea from where he says, to the pure, everything is pure. Instead, he's, he's saying, don't buy into these false teachings. And then he gives this indictment of these false teachers. He says, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Verse 16, he says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Essentially what these are is these are counterfeits. These are fakes. They're people who pretend to be one thing when they're really another. Right? And these counterfeits who appear to be teaching Christian doctrine are actually teaching something that is opposed to the most, most important Christian doctrine, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They are denying God. They're denying his grace by their teaching, saying you need something other than Jesus. You don't need something other than Jesus. You need the grace of God in Jesus. That's what we need. And they were teaching something opposed to that. So they're called out for being counterfeits. And I love whenever he says they're unfit for any good work here at the end. Because Paul uses the same word here. He uses the same word here over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this may sound familiar to some of you, but over in 1 Corinthians 9, it's translated as disqualified. They're disqualified from any good work. So it says in 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Don't you know that the runner in a stadium, sorry, that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way to win the prize, as to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, this idea of disqualification is, you know what, I've run the race, but if I start teaching other people to run it in a wrong direction, I'm disqualified already. 
I've already stepped out of bounds. I'm disqualified. And that's the same word that's used here for these counterfeits. He says they're teaching something that is unprofitable, that's worthless, don't buy into this lie, and they are disqualified from any good work. It's the same thing that he's teaching there. And that's why we need qualified elders to protect the church against counterfeits who will lead you down the wrong path, who will teach you to step out of bounds and be disqualified, who will teach you to buy into some lie saying that you need something outside of the grace of God and Jesus. You don't. You need Jesus and more of him. Even if you just want, even if we're just talking about Christian maturity, if you're talking about growing in God's grace, you know what you need? You need more of Jesus. Yeah, that's a pretty simple message, isn't it? It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. You need more Jesus. And that's why we need mature believers in our lives. It's so that they can keep us from buying into the counterfeits and being disqualified ourselves. We need qualified elders in the church and mature believers in our lives because people will be misled by eloquence, culture, counterfeits. So what? Well, first thing I want to ask since I spent so much time talking about worldview is do you have a proper worldview? Are you looking at life through the proper lens, from the proper angle? See, many of us, many of us, even in the church, have allowed ourselves to be misled. Um, so here's what I want you to know today. Here's what I want you to know on the authority of God's word, on the authority of the line under the number. Here's what I want you to absolutely know for sure. I want you to know that you are a sinner who is destined to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell apart from the grace of God in Jesus. It got really quiet. But I can tell you that with absolute confidence, absolute confidence, that apart from the grace of God in Jesus, you will remain in your sin and you are destined to be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. Now, it's not easy to tell somebody that that they're going to hell, but if you don't trust in Jesus as your life, which is what God's word clearly commands, that's the reality. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place. To take the punishment that you deserve. And through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven and given the only life that's truly worth living. See, if you've trusted in anything else... I mean, absolutely anything else. And you can fill in the blank with whatever you want. If you've trusted in good deeds, family history, showing up to church on a Sunday morning, um, fill in the blank with whatever you want. Because I've heard too many people say, like, uh, you know, I think it all balances out in the end. I've actually heard people say, I kind of think you'll get get what you got coming. You know, if you're a good person on earth, I think you'll get good things after you die. What? Where do you get that? If you're given what you deserve, it's not going to be good for you. If I'm given what I deserve, it's not going to be good for me. The truth is that we need the grace of God in Jesus. If you've trusted in anything else for your salvation, you've bought into a counterfeit. You have been lied to. You need Jesus. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what quote-unquote smart people say or what seemingly religious people say. What matters is what God says in his word. And what he says is that you can be forgiven. 
You can receive grace. You can receive mercy. You can receive life. And I don't care how bad you think you are. I've actually heard people say, like, I don't think you understand. People have said this to me. They've said, Jared, I don't think you understand the things that I've done. And I said, I don't care. (laughs) What you've done is irrelevant. Because I don't think you know the things I've done. But what I do know is what Jesus has done. And that's what matters. The other stuff is irrelevant. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Oh, man. (sighs) What we need to know is that we can and will be forgiven when we come to Jesus in faith and repentance. We come to him. That's what we need to know. That's the worldview we need. It's one that says that God's word is infallible and that he came to make a way for us. So if you want to grow, if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to grow, if you want to mature in his grace, then I want to urge you, again, get plugged into the church and find ways to surround yourself with people who know God's word and are mature followers themselves. Because again, that's what discipleship is, right? Speaking truth into other people's lives, doing life together, growing in God's grace together. Um, If you're not sure how to do that, let me know, and I I may get back to you within a week, or like I did last week, I may forget to respond for a week. Um, So anyway, um, also, if you're not sure how to do this, Lord willing, small groups are going to be firing up again, and I encourage you to get involved. Meet with brothers and sisters throughout the week. There's any uh, crazy ways, any number of crazy ways that you can do this. One of them, and this is wild, pick up a book. Um... I know some of you are like, I don't read. That's worse than laundry. But this crazy idea, like pick up a book from a solid author. And I'll admit, I'm not an avid reader myself. But if you want suggestions, I'll give you a suggestion because I've read a few books at least. So pick up a book by a solid author and grow by learning from these other mature followers of Christ. And the point that I'm trying to make to you is grow in God's grace. Whether that means you don't know Christ as your Savior, grow in that grace and receive him today. Don't wait because you don't know how long you've got. And if you do know Jesus, how are you growing in that grace? I want to urge you, find a way to be disciples because there are counterfeits all over the place. Let me pray for you all. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for not letting us just think we have no way of knowing whether it's a six or a nine. Lord, I thank you for giving us the lens through which we need to look at the world. I thank you that you've taught us that there are lies around us, that there is deception, that there are counterfeits, Lord, and I thank you for not telling us that we have to figure it out all on our our own. But instead, you've put us in a body of believers. You've put us in a place where we have access to solid Bible teaching. You've placed us in a time where your word is incredibly accessible. So, Lord, I thank you for that. God, I pray that we would grow in the knowledge of your grace, the knowledge of the truth. Father, help us to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would place a burden on our hearts to seek out other brothers and sisters with whom we can fellowship, by whom we can be discipled. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us to identify those that we can can help to disciple. Father, I pray that we would be people who want to be discipled and be disciplers. So Lord, help us, I pray. And most important, Lord, I pray that for those who don't know you, who haven't experienced the grace of God in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would call them to yourself. 
Lord, draw them close. Father, speak to them clearly so that they might seek you out, so that they might turn to you and they might know you. Um, Father, I most of all thank you for Jesus. I thank you that we can know who you are through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. Father, and I thank you for, for choosing me. I thank you that I can know your grace. Lord, so we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Lord, it's all yours, and we just turn it back to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.